Flash Brief, Echo Echo Whiskey. Welcome to our End Endless Wars Flash Brief. We'll be brief. Today's End Endless War Brief is in honor of Sergeant Nathaniel Lindsay of the Oregon National Guard and Sergeant First Class Michael Fuga of the Missouri National Guard. They both died on September 9th, 2006 as a result of separate engagements in Afghanistan. I'm Ray Hoskins. And I'm John Burns, and this is Echo Echo Whiskey. Ray, these two soldiers, their deaths, they really hit it home for me. They were both members of the Army National Guard, members of our reserve component, guys that we call weekend warriors. And that's what I was when I was in Afghanistan two years later. These guys died five years after the war started, which was 14 years ago, almost today. Americans, these guys were. These guys were regular Americans, civilians. They weren't regular army types. They weren't active duty types. These are the kind of guys who just volunteer their weekends, knowing that someday their country might call on them. Um, it just, as, a, as somebody who is also in the guard, it really hits home for me. And I think this is a great reason why realism is so important for our country's foreign policy. And I think it's, it, it makes me think of these two gentlemen in light of our second principle of realism. Well, that second principle, basically what it's, I think what you're talking about is that all states retain at least some kind of offensive military power. How exactly does that relate in, in the light of, of these two men dying? Well, two things come to my mind. And the first one is that we don't normally think of reservists and National Guard troops as part of America's offensive capability. According to our doctrine, you know, our thinking about how we conduct military affairs, they're supposed to be part of our strategic reserve backups. So essentially what that means is, you know, if we were to get into a big major war with a, a major power like China or Russia, the Guard and Reserve units are supposed to be there to get called up on if we start running low on, on manpower. Is that right? That's correct. Exactly. When I think of our offensive capability, I think of the, the Marine Corps, the Army's 82nd Airborne, our expeditionary forces that are available to, to you know, quickly insert, to kick in the door of, of foreign countries. I think of our Air Force, our bombers and our attack aircraft. I think of our naval aircraft carriers, which we can position around the world. Um, for, for offensive operations. And of course, I think of our shadowy special operations forces who can go anywhere and do anything from, from what I've been told, right? Um, but, uh, but I don't think about week, weekend warriors. I don't think about reservists or guardsmen from places like Troutdale, Oregon, or Independence, Missouri, which is where these two gentlemen were from. Well, John, I could be wrong in this, but wasn't the original idea of putting so much capacity in the guard and in the reserves, especially for the army, wasn't that kind of meant to put the brakes on uh, a, a rush to war by our politicians and our, and our military? It was, especially when we're talking about war with a great power. The thinking a few decades back right after Vietnam was that if American leaders wanted to prosecute a major war with a great power or to engage in something like this, a sustained long-term decades, in this case, long counterinsurgency war, the prospect of thousands of casualties within the reserve component in the reserves and in the National Guard would make citizens and make their, their members of Congress take notice, pay attention, and deliberate to make sure that the war was necessary. The thought was that, that you know, hometown folks suddenly being shipped off to war, disrupting local economies and threatening, you know, previously civilians last week suddenly becoming casualties this week would put the brakes on a, on a rush to war. Right. Back in Vietnam, they had uh, practically a daily death count going on the, on the nightly news. 
And, but, you know, in, in this case, you know, because of September 11th, 2001, which obviously meant war with Afghanistan was inevitable. And because the deaths among reservists have been honestly in the hundreds, not in the thousands, they, they've been fighting and dying in America's longest war for almost two decades. There is no running tally each day of the local boys that are getting killed. No. So what was the second reason that made you think of the, the second principle that all states have some offensive military capability? Well, the fact that these two gentlemen who were, you know, again, part of a force we would not typically de define as our offensive capability died in Afghanistan uh, reminded me that Afghanistan actually is the exception that proves the rule, right? How, how so? What do you mean? Well, so you think about Afghanistan and the military that they have, you know, that they have uh, deployed internally for the last almost two decades. Do you think they have any military, any offensive military capability whatsoever? I mean, keeping in mind that, that their neighbors happen to be Iran and Pakistan, large armies, NBC forces, air forces. Well, from what I've seen over the last couple of years on, on the, on the, uh, the news and what I've been reading, they don't. They really don't have any kind of offensive capability. So how do they get away with breaking this rule? Well, once again, I think there are two reasons. Uh, first is um, they're not really a unified state, right? Uh, Afghan government, as we've talked about already, is disorganized and too disorganized and corrupt to unify their country. The Taliban, ISIS, other criminal and terror groups uh, challenge the, the central government in their home provinces at will, um, and they run many micro governments wherever they are, right? So, so the, the Taliban government, I'm sorry, the, the, the Afghan government is not in control of the country effectively. All right. So that's, that's one reason. What's, what's the other? Well, the other one is, is that that military deterrent capability, and let's remember, states have offensive military capability to deter their neighbors so that they don't use their offensive military capability. You know, the best defense is sometimes a good offense. Um, and for the last 19 plus years, America has been providing that deterrent force vis-a-vis -vis Afghanistan. Nobody's going to encroach on Afghanistan's borders while we're there. So the bottom line is this, the, the fact that this gang over there in Kabul, they, they can't get their act together. We're still there and our troops are still at risk. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm saying, Ray. All right. So what do we do about it? Well, the first thing we can do is continue to learn on this, right? I want to remind folks that, that we'll be doing an hour-long presentation on realism, restraint, and endless wars next Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And the link will be in the description for this episode, and it will also be posted on Facebook in the coming days and weeks. And that's Concerned Veterans for America on Facebook. I would encourage everyone listening to tune into that for a much deeper, much better understanding of how this all fits together. This is Ray Hoskins. I'm out. For Echo Echo Whiskey, for Concerned Veterans for America, and for myself, John Burns, out.